Hello and welcome to Never Seen It, a podcast about movies that we haven't seen yet. I'm your host today, Betsy, and with me is Trent. Welcome, one and all. Yes, welcome everyone. We are returning to the world of a director that Trent, my dear darling husband and co-host, has not explored the works of. No. And we've done one of these movies before. And it's been quite a while, so we're coming back to it. It was our mi- our first milestone episode, our, our 100th movie, if you want to scroll all the way back in your phone, was The Sixth Sense. Yes, I have married the one person in the known world who mm-hmm. made it to 2021 before seeing The Sixth Sense. <laughs> yep. So, of course, that means that Trent hasn't seen any of the other M. Night Shyamalan movies after it none of them so we are just going in order we're doing number two we are watching unbreakable from the year 2000 the year 2000 so trent you've made it 23 years the majority of your adult life without seeing this movie i assume the reason you haven't watched it is the same as most you just didn't get around to it and not having seen the first in his collection, even though they're unrelated movies, you just sort of ignored it. But aren't they, Betsy? I mean, they really weren't until he started making more of these properties. <laughs> until, he st- until he started to, like, make a thread through them. Yeah, y- you're right. Um, For me, Shyamalan was just kind of a joke. Like, back in the 2000s and early 2010s, the the shtick about Shyamalan was always the twist. He was just kind of a joke, like I said. And especially like when, when we're talking about like the late night talk shows, they would always make fun of him and his movies. And I watched a lot of those shows. So I just got this this impression about him that all of his movies are terrible. Even- but and I, and I know that they're not. But that kind of an attitude just kind of seeped into my bones, and I never thought to really seek it out to find out for myself. Fair enough. So Unbreakable is not in any way a continuation. It is not a sequel. Yes. It just happens to have some continuity with the person who is in the movie. So Trent, what do you know about Unbreakable? So uh, I revealed this to Betsy before we started. Uh, the only things I know about Unbreakable is it's a Shyamalan, Bruce Willis, Sam Jackson, and there's a train. And there's a train. Do you know what the the significance of the train is? Nothing. We didn't rewatch a trailer or anything, so no. you just remember vaguely something about vaguely a train. Vaguely something about a train and maybe it crashes? Question mark. Question mark. I don't <laughs> I really do not know. I mean, I knew a hell of a lot more about the sixth sense because I mean everybody knew about the twist. Well, this one is an interesting example because at the time, because he was literally coming right off of the sixth sense, that came out in ninety nine this came out in 2000 yeah he was really getting hyped up and he became known as the twist guy right and i think people were riding this wave of the sixth sense you know oh my god m night Shyamalan, he's the second coming and so they set a lot of expectations on this movie and then they were underwhelmed by it sure because but- everybody was blown away by, by the sixth sense because of how it was made and nobody saw it coming unless you heard about it pr- prior to that if someone spoiled it for you yeah yes. and that was really the the Honestly, if you really want to think about it, the term spoiler, I would say, kind of comes from this era of film. 
Potentially, it was kind of the early days of the internet where mm-hmm. people started talking about the thing they were doing. But yeah, getting back to my point, he became the twist guy. And because people were underwhelmed, this movie, I think, got a bad reputation. But over mm-hmm. the years, I think people have revisited this one and realized that this is actually one of his better movies. Yeah, that's my understanding. So that, in in the grand scheme of all of them that he has made, this one tends to be kind of forgotten. Which is sort of why I wanted to cover this one today. Just because I'll be curious, after this amount of time has passed, I haven't watched this movie in a long time, just to see how it holds up and how you feel about it in 2023 versus coming right off The Sixth Sense in 2000. Sure, And it's even been a long time since we've watched The Sixth Sense. We we haven't revisited that one since. But I'm really curious here because could you even assign a genre to this movie or really any of his movies i would say broadly thriller yeah but he's going for so many things sometimes that it's kind of hard to define it's it's a Shyamalan movie yeah that's my point he's kind of a genre unto himself by design he sort of he sort of took from a lot of different people and said this is what i want to do yeah in my own voice and i think that's maybe what turned me off of the guy because it just seemed like there has been this aura about the guy that people have been just worshiping and they think that his movies cannot do wrong, he cannot do wrong, and they're just waiting with bated breath for his next movie. I I think the reputation is kind of what sunk this movie. I don't even remember if it did well in the theater, but since you don't really know anything about the plot itself this many years removed, we're just going to go watch it. We're going to go and see Unbreakable. And we'll be right back. That was Unbreakable, the second movie set in Philadelphia that we've watched in short order, and I kind of <laughs> forgot that was sort of a mistake. <laughs> Trent, how do you feel about Unbreakable? I don't know yet. I think, for the most part, it was fine. But, I don't know. I had some reactions in there that I I just kind of have to laugh at. I can never tell when we're watching a movie and you're laughing at the movie mm-hmm. if it's because you're laughing at the movie or you're actually enjoying what you're watching this time i was laughing at the movie a little bit a, a little bit because a lot of it is just so weird and it's phrased weird and there are scenes that just come out of nowhere yeah this was a lot but it's not as I don't I I honestly do not know what my reaction is. I did not know that we were going to be walking into a goddamn superhero movie of any of of all things. Yeah, this is why I think people reacted kind of the way you're reacting right now because if we watch the trailer, I don't think that is what is suggested in the trailer. Like how do you tell people that this is a superhero origin comic book movie? without giving things away about it. So I think all they really tell you is 
It's this miraculous survivor story. Yeah. They give it to you in drips and drabs. And by the end of the movie, you get it. There's nothing. There's no subtext here. It's all out in the open. Well, and that's the thing is it almost feels like the twist is there is no twist. But then he just can't help himself and he has to put a twist. <laughs> uh, I, I would less call this a twist than just a revelation. The obvious conclusion. I guess. But I will say this. I was not expecting that. But now that I think about it, what I know about future Shyamalan movies makes it make a lot more sense looking back because I know that this character, Mr. Glass, shows up in future movies. Specifically in Glass. Is specifically in Glass, but there's also a movie called Split that he shows up in. Oh, I suppose that's the third he's, in the trilogy. He's in a mental institution. Yeah. And he's also there. Yeah, so not having that information mm-hmm. at the time this came out... Nobody knew that could possibly be something no, 15 or whatever that. years later. He but again, came. I'm, I'm only realizing this now after seeing the movie. Well, right. But let's try to put aside the fact that yeah. he did end up bringing both of these characters back. Because you and I haven't seen either of those movies. Nope. So it either is that it improved upon these characters or it made them even weirder. <laughs> I mean, by most accounts, those other movies are really, really good. So I'm, yes. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. I so. think all of the things that people had problems with with this one, he found a way to get people on his side. Mm-hmm later as he had matured as a filmmaker. Yeah, and I think by then the audience knows what to expect out of him and out of these characters because going in, if you knew nothing about this movie, and I did not, I knew there was a train, I thought it might have crashed, that's it. So, me having that little knowledge, I think it would definitely improve the chances of me wanting to watch a sequel or follow-ups to these characters. But going in, yeah, I can see how you your expectations are kind of all over the place. Yeah, I didn't see this movie when it came out. I think I was already in college, maybe. I think he had already put out Signs mm-hmm. and maybe, I don't know if he had put out The Village yet. So he was on movie three or four by the time I actually went back and saw this one. Mm-hmm. And watching it now, I was like, huh, this isn't the way I remembered this movie. Like, the, I don't know if I just remember watching the deleted scenes or if I had a director's cut or I don't know what because yeah. M. Night Shyamalan isn't much for director's cuts. He just, no, this the, is the, the director's cut. The movie is the director's cut, yes. But I just distinctly remember a scene that isn't in this cut so I must be confusing it with deleted footage. Like more stuff of Elijah when he was a kid. Yeah. But that all being said, I saw this one when it was still fairly new and I actually really liked it because I, like you, didn't know what made this movie different. Mm-hmm. And there were so many people, even a few years after the fact, saying, this movie is better than people think it is. Yeah. They all think, oh, he's the twist guy. He made the sixth sense and it, it shocked the hell out of us. Yeah. And this one is kind of like, oh, well, there's sort of a twist, but it's not because you're introduced to this guy and the suggestion is made pretty early on in the movie. Like they just start planting the seeds. Like, have you ever been sick? Yeah. Have you ever been injured and they keep giving you like little bit little bit little bit 
and you start to realize, wow, there's something different about this guy. There's something special about this guy. Mm -hmm. And then by the end, you reach the logical conclusion that he is a superhero. He is a living hero. He's just not done anything with it. And the scene where he goes and tests this theory out is pretty dramatic. Like, he bumps into a guy because he has, like, this sense about him where he can touch people. A sixth sense, Betsy? Uh, shut up, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> where he can let people touch him, and he will get a glimpse of their life and who they Something are and what they are. bad that they did. Yes. And he finds this person who murdered this husband and wife, or mm -hmm. at least the husband he knows of, and there's kids he finds out locked up in the bathroom. Yeah. And this, he turns into a fucking vigilante. And this yeah. is just like, if you are testing out your superpowers, this is how you begin. Right. You just went to like an 11. You're not like the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah. You're like fucking Batman. Yeah, you're not going to go after the woman who stole a piece of jewelry. No. Yeah. The guy who date raped somebody. The other dude mm -hmm. who like accosted someone because he's a racist. Yeah. He goes after the dude who busted into a house killed the husband, and has the rest of the family killed. He wants killed, a challenge. Locked up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just like, wait, what? And by this point in the movie, you're actually kind of on board with, oh, wow, wait. No, he really is this guy. He's really special. And then you get his weakness. And it, it's good and bad, this whole superhero trope. Like, you were really confused when the movie started, and it's a whole bunch of stats about comic books. <laughs> Which, you know what, uh, knowing what I know about M. Night Shyamalan, he's a big fucking nerd. Correct. Yeah. So I can expect something like that in in one of his movies. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect it out of, the, out of his second movie, of course. No, but. early on, this is kind of a bold choice coming off of The Sixth Sense. Yeah. Because this is more of a vision that he had yeah. about... How would I make a comic book movie? And think about this in context. This movie came out in the year 2000. There really weren't a whole lot of comic book movies out by this point. No. X-Men came out this year. We had a Blade a we couple years before. Blade. But that really wasn't advertised as a comic book movie. No, it was based on a comic book Blade. property. <laughs> it was just Blade. Yeah, and Blade is awesome. Blade is awesome. Yeah. It's ridiculous to watch it now. 25 yeah. years, 25, Trent, 25 yes. years later. Yes, yes. Uh, but yes, that I see what you're saying. Yeah, but going into this, him making a comic book movie, the context isn't there for the, the general public to know, okay, this is what comic book fans think about their comics they are a living history you can have you can do anything in them you can create whatever kind of characters or stories or whatever but everything has to be grounded in some kind of reality there are certain rules one must follow yes when making a comic book and then adapting it into a movie and this isn't a real comic well wait is this a comic book no has it be been adapted into one I don't think so. I thought there was something about the source material, but I could be completely wrong. No, it, it, it's completely made up. All right. But yes, he structurally makes this movie like a comic book, mm -hmm. which you can tell. But if you don't, if you are not intimately familiar with comic books, this is a little bit disorienting. Yeah. I was, I was just reading on IMDb how it says... He shot this. Number one, he did it in sequence, yes. which is really bizarre. And number two, the way it is framed 
is like a comic book. Yeah, and it really bothered me while we were watching it because it was very apparent that he was trying to do something, but I did not know what. Yeah. But now I'm thinking about it, especially there was this the, the, the scene at the very beginning when he's flirting with the lady in the train. It's going back and forth back and forth, back and forth between focusing on him, focusing on the lady, focusing on him at the, at the at the window, all that stuff. And there's literally a dividing panel between them. Yes. The gap is the, the panel. And there was one other scene late, late where he goes to his gallery and he's telling him, don't come around my family anymore. The, the, the camera is panning all the way from the left side of the, the room all the way to the right where Bruce Willis is barely in frame. And it starts with him like way over to the right and he's not looking at anybody. Yeah. And then by the end, he's just like talking while we're moving off of him. Uh Uh-huh. And there's like these weird spins and a lot of upside down things. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was just watching this going, I don't remember any of these weird camera things. And there's a lot of like central framing, which he didn't do in in uh, The Sixth Sense, where the character's right in the middle and there's something in the foreground. So like right after the accident, yeah. he's being asked a bunch of questions by the doctor. That was a good scene. And in the foreground, there's someone being operated on and you just slowly see them like start to bleed. And the doctor is telling him, in a minute, there were only two people pull off that train, and in a minute, you're about to be the only survivor. Right, because this guy is technically still alive, and they're trying to do everything possible to try to save him. But some of the the, the, the dialogue in here is like, yeah, just try to hack that off, and it'll be fine. Well, we're, we're probably going to lose him, so yeah. Just do what you got to do. Do what you got to do to do anything to try to save one other person. But there's a lot of that in this movie where... Again, if you are not a fan of comic books, if you are not intimately familiar with the way they are laid out and the different kinds of angles. Which this we is are all, definitely not. No, this would all be lost on you. But the second I'm told that, yeah. all of a sudden I start thinking back to what I just watched and I go, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like the shots of him where he's in his rain jacket, his yeah. raincoat, yep. and he is all in shadow, under dramatic lighting, and you Mm -hmm. can't see his face. That is some hero shit. That is the mysterious figure standing in the alleyway. There was one other shot where I think it was right before Bruce Willis was going to pick up his kid and his kid is playing football. He's getting off a bus, okay? So the architecture, like, everything is kind of on a hill, So the camera is actually level with Bruce Willis. Everything else is askew. Did you notice that at all? I didn't because I think I was distracted by the bus trying to read secrets because there was something on the bus that said, like, we know something you don't know. Uh, (laughs) And I was like, is this a clue? What is it? No, I don't think there's... He doesn't do clues, Betsy. (laughs) Anyways, no, no, that, that scene, everything else is kind of at an angle because it's on a hill and the camera is level set with Bruce Willis, which I mean makes sense as a as a filmmaker. But uh, when I look at that, when I kind of look back at in my in my memory, that is a weird framing device for a comic book frame. It definitely is, and of course, the big thing about comic book is we have a hero and we have a villain. So we have the Bruce Willis character who's introduced right away in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. and we're just kind of given these little. Like you said, drips, little bits of information. He 
was in a horrific, like they show it before they show him. This train was horribly derailed. They're talking about fire and the rescue team can't even get to it because yeah. it's so bad. And they bring this guy out and he does have a scratch on him. Not mm -hmm. a broken bone, not a bruise, nothing. Yeah. And then he's asked the question, have you ever been sick? And he has to ask his boss, how many sick days have I taken in five years I've worked here? Uh-huh. And instead of, you know, just telling him you haven't taken any, he gives him a raise because he's like, okay, you made it's your like, point. All right, <laughs> all right. Yeah, you've never missed a day because you're sick. Fine. Here's 40 bucks extra a week. But then he asks his wife, when do you ever remember me being sick? When was the last time I was sick? Yeah. And the two of them can't come up with an answer. And she just says, well, you woke me up in the middle of the night. I'm tired. I'm tired. Now, I can't. I can't function when I'm this tired. My memory doesn't work. Betsy, I did not like this portion of the movie. This bothered you, this, this element. This bothered me a lot because how much in the clouds does your mind have to be to not realize, oh, I've never been sick. I've never broken a bone. I've never even... God. That <laughs> was bad. I cannot get a, get beyond that. You genuinely think it's impossible to yes. not remember that? Like, I yes, think... Yes, it is impossible. I think that you're right. If you are sick, there are touchstones. Like, I remember times where you and I have been sick together and it was just, oh my God, that was horrible. We were sick for days and it was right around Christmas. And yeah. so there's like context clues. Yes. And I'm sure he could produce information about, oh, remember our son was sick because I had parents, to miss this thing. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's just one of those things where he's so distracted. Like they talk about how he wakes up sad every day. Like he's right. in this like depression and right. this haze. That's why I'm saying he's, his head is in the clouds, but I, I, I understand that you, that's a completely valid thing to be, but in your entire life, you're in your probably late thirties to early forties, dude. Come on. <laughs> well, it's probably just not even thinking that hard about it. So if you say, okay, think about the last time you were sick. And you have to go backwards. And when you can't find it, you keep going backwards. And when you can't find it, you keep going backwards. After a while of that, then you're suddenly going to realize, shit, wait a second. There's a big gap in my life that mm -hmm. I don't really understand. And I need to pursue that a little bit more. Yes, it's far-fetched and maybe a little bit silly. But again, this is supposed to be a comic book movie <laughs> yes there is an origin story we have uh the, the really the, the movie is it's a villain looking for a nemesis yeah we are introduced to is. the villain before we're introduced to the hero exactly the movie starts in yeah. 1961 in a philadelphia department store yep. and it's elijah being born yeah and on the way out, all his limbs were broken. Right. And they said, oh, yeah, he just came right out. Yeah, because there was nothing to keep him from resisting. Yep. He just squished his little body out. Yeah. And it all, <laughs> all uh, fell I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need to be getting into that stuff. But, and yeah, at the, I mean, of course, the, the, the twist at the end, he says, I've been looking forward to this day. I, I need to find out where my nemesis is. I need to find out my place in the world. And I finally found you. And this is the result of my, my life's work. Because 
Jesus, he's had nothing to do but read comic books, and he has to find his nemesis. And there's there's nothing special about him except for his syndrome, and that's, man. But again, it if you think about him in the context of this movie, he is this lonely kid who has this really pretty rare disease. Yep. And his logic, because all he does is sit around and read all day, mm. and he's alone all the time, his logic follows like you can follow where he got to this conclusion yeah if i can exist maybe just maybe someone the polar opposite of me exists yeah i am the absolute weakest you know structure of a human that has ever been there's got to be the polar opposite of that because in my comic books that I've been reading since I was a child, that's how it always is. And you think he is this guide, this wise person who knows a secret about the universe that nobody else knows. So when he introduces the concept to Bruce Willis's character, of course, he is very skeptical. Even Elijah is kind of like, well, I, you've you've been poking holes in my theory sure. because you said you've been in an accident and you almost drowned and all these different things. Yeah. So, mm, I don't know. But as he learns more about him, he starts to believe it more. Right. And his whole thing is he's, like you said, on this search. He's trying to find this person. And we think, oh, he's here to help him. At the end of the movie, once Bruce Willis has claimed his rightful place as this hero, David mm -hmm. is a hero, right. and he's going to go out and do vigilante justice, Elijah understands his purpose. And he says, this is the point where you shake my hand. And of course, when he does it, mm -hmm. that's the, quote, twist ending where he finds out that all of these tragedies that Elijah has been describing of uh, a hotel fire and a car, right. a plane bombing and all these things. He, in fact, has been planting all of this and yeah. causing it to happen yeah. in the hopes he will find the person he's looking for. And I, I, I knew there was going to be something special about the fact that he kept on saying these specific tragedies. And it feels at first like I've just rehearsed this a lot of times. Uh-huh. In the event, I finally get to say it to somebody. But when you find out why these specific things are his examples, it's because mm -hmm. he did them. Those are the things he did. Yeah. And I understand somebody who's obsessed with, you know, it's like tragedy porn. People are way into watching things. like Whenever there's a, a horrific thing that happens on the TV, they get glued to the TV and they're watching for updates all the damn time. I remember 9-11. I couldn't look away. All of us were just yeah. terrified and confused and we yeah. wanted to know what was going to happen next. And exactly. yeah, same thing. He's he's doing it with the purpose of, I'm trying to find the opposite of me. Yeah. The person who is like me, but not like me. So of course, the conclusion is, he's actually the villain. And you kind of could get this if you're paying attention. Like they keep giving these speeches about heroes and villains kind of throughout the piece. Yeah. Every time we are first introduced to him, when he's born, the first time we see Elijah is in a mirror, in a glass reflection. The second time when he's a little boy, it's in the reflection of a television. When we first introduced to him as an adult, he is trying to sell this piece of artwork to a guy and we see his reflection. So it's all these glass, glass, Mr. Glass yeah. things. And the fact that he has like a snappy villain nickname like Mr. Glass. <laughs> I don't know no. about snappy. <laughs> okay, but he has like a nickname that people call him. 
And in trying to find his way, he just automatically became the villain. And he didn't think of himself as a villain. No. It wasn't until he actually met the hero that suddenly he was like, oh, now I understand myself. Uh-huh. Yeah, and there's uh, there's a little bit of confirmation bias in there. And it's like, okay, okay, it's a little contrived, but okay, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Also, he wears a lot of purple. That's like his, that's that's a solid that's, that's number Sam one. That's color. a Sam Jackson color, but that's also a solid villain color. It is. If he was if he was wearing a green jacket, <laughs> that would have been a little too on the nose. If he was yeah. wearing like green and purple, there's way too many like Marvel and DC villains who go with green. Well, it just in a comic book is striking to it have is. green and purple. It is, and they go and they go into like the the comic book theory about you know these guys. The, the villains have to have these eyes that are a little askew and then they're bigger because that's how they perceive the world yeah, a little differently. The, the, the heroes have to have this square jaw and be totally muscular and everything else. And he, he goes into that when he's trying to sell this, this piece, like you said in this scene. And I, <laughs> I thought this was going to go a very different way when we were introduced to his reflection and everything else where he's trying to sell this thing. He's very, very serious about everything in this, in, in, in this movie. Oh yeah. This is not a comic store. I do not yeah. sell comic books. He sells artwork, artwork. He yeah. has comic art in a gallery. Yeah. So like the original drawings in paper and pen. Also, this is around the same time that uh, a lot of places started to call them graphic novels. Okay, there is a fine line between mm-hmm. graphic novel and comic book. Yeah, but I'm saying that there is a a perception out there that comic books are for kids, graphic novels are for adults. And I have some kind of respect for that perspective anyway, because so many comics and so many graphic novels, whatever you want to call them, are very serious. They have very deep stories. They have incredible artwork. Like, the people who work on this stuff are extremely talented. It is kind of an interesting thing that what he is selling, those are clearly pieces from comic books, but he is treating them as, like, the elevated. Like, this is art. I am not selling this art to your four-year-old baby boy. (laughs) He says that this was actually a comic sketch that when they, before they put it into the book, they kind of sanded down the edges they didn't make him so muscular they took some stuff out of the artwork to make it more appealing to sell yep they added all the extra color here where it's not supposed to be so colorful and yeah they're turning it into a commercial product but in reality what i see it as is art and nobody else sees it that way do you feel like that's a metaphor for this movie like i've taken a comic property and i'm going to show you the the real quote-unquote version. I can see that. Yeah, I, I think there's a in, lot of that in this I movie. I can see in, in his brain where he thinks that, oh, you think comic books are for kids? I'll show you. <laughs> this is a grown-up comic. Yeah. Well, and then there's just, like, stupid shit. Like, when we get the flashback of Elijah as, a like, a preteen, mm-hmm. and his mom has to lure him out of the house... With comic books, and that's how he gets on this track to begin with. That's his or that's his villain origin story. His mom <laughs> made him a villain by giving him comic books. By giving him encouragement. By encouraging him to go outdoors. <laughs> Stay indoors, kids. <laughs> um, 
But she says, oh, there's a twist at the end of this one. It's like, oh, ah, come on. Boo. <laughs> yeah, I booed the screen when I heard that. <laughs> boo Jesus. this man. And like any good M. Night movie, he shows up in it. He cannot help himself. And it's funny how as we progress through this series, you're going to find that he puts himself in more and more relevant roles. Oh, fuck. I, that's what I don't like. I don't I don't mind if you put yourself in, in your movie. Blink and you'll miss it is fine. I don't that's give a shit. That's fine. Alfred Hitchcock did it all the time. Kevin Smith does it all the time. And he's, he's less... Kevin Smith is very much less of a character in his own movies. Even though he is a pivotal character, he doesn't say any fucking words. Well, and he's God not, damn it. He's also not Kevin Smith. Like, whenever whenever Hitchcock would show up, he was just man on bus. Right. Yeah, he's just walking past in the frame and that's it. Or sitting next to Cary Grant looking away, like not making eye contact. Yeah, it's like, you know that's him, but you don't pay any attention to him right versus m night Shyamalan, who always has lines like i don't think he is in a single one of his movies without dialogue he is always giving himself dialogue Mm -hmm. and in this one it's rather inoffensive but of course if you know what he looks like you go ah ah, there he is Mm -hmm. like it just draws attention takes you completely out of the movie yeah and there really isn't any point to him like he's getting patted down by Bruce Willis because he gets a flash of him like selling drugs in the where stadium. He had planted drugs in a trash bin where he's going to recover them later and a- attempt to sell them later. But then did he already go and sell them by this point? I don't know. Like, I don't know how this flashback thing works. It was kind of an unresolved thing. <laughs> and maybe that's because he hasn't developed his thing yet. Which, by the way, at the end of the movie where he's in his cape, where he's just putting his arms out to have people touch him, that was just too much. Like slow Come on. motion, like embracing it. Right. Yeah, if you can get... Have him glow. If you can get on board with this is the hero moment and you're not super cynical, it's like, oh, cool. Oh, hi, I'm Mr. Cynical right here. <laughs> oh, no, I will give you, watching it now, I'm way more cynical about this movie than I was 20 years ago. Yeah. Because I remember distinctly feeling like, oh, wow, maybe he is special. And, you know, like, it never occurs to you that when he says he was in a car accident and he got hurt, mm-hmm. that he's lying. I figured he was lying as soon as his wife started talking about football and she was telling the story about the car accident to Elijah. And that was a weird, weird coincidence that they ended up. I don't up... think that was a coincidence. God I think it. he sought her out. Fine. He needed to have physical therapy anyway, but how would he have known that she was a physical therapist? Dude, he plants bombs and starts fires. You think he can't find out where David's <laughs> wife works? Okay, fair enough. Anyway. As soon as she started talking about that and she said, oh, I don't like the violence. I don't like anything. And I'm no fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. First of all, maybe she isn't any fun because her favorite color is brown, which is an interesting choice. Well, he says rust. Yeah, they're both of them. Their favorite colors are shades of brown. Shades of shit. Like you're weirdos. You deserve each other. But but yeah, she's also kind of the antithesis of Bruce Willis's character because she's all about healing and taking care of people and that was her chosen profession even when they got together and he's this rough and tumble football player and she just really can't get on board with that like aggression and violence and so she literally says like 
I didn't want to be with a football player because it's against everything I stand for and believe in. And then that car accident just sort of fixed it for us. And that sucks. I mean, it does. That sucks. Because if you actually did want to continue on with your football playing and your girlfriend will not stay with you because of that, and she's like giving you ultimatums and telling you that, I don't know what the conversations were, but telling you that you're you're a bad person for playing football. Okay, you're, maybe, you're maybe, reaching really I far. I am, I am. <laughs> but the fact that she said him having this accident and giving up football was the best thing to happen to us, that sucks. I mean, it could explain why your marriage is kind of suffering 12 they years later. They never addressed that, though. Why are they on the rocks? I don't get it. Is it just because he's just kind of aloof and doesn't know where his place in life is? It kind of. So they sort of they sort of address it when they have their date. Yeah. Basically, she says, do you keep us at a distance? And again, if you're contextualizing the superhero, yeah. with great power comes great responsibility. God to bring it. it back to the Spider-Man of it all, <laughs> <laughs> if you have people you love and you're going to be this vigilante, yes. you have to take care of them but you can't always have it both. You can't have both ways. You can't be a hero mm-hmm. and have this private life. Yeah. And he has chosen the private life, but he also still subconsciously has this itch to go out and pursue this. He mm-hmm. just doesn't know that's what it is. He wakes up every day feeling miserable yeah. because he's not pursuing his life's goal, which is this. And there is a bit of a trope with the superhero thing of him telling his kid and keeping it from his wife. Oh, yeah, the, the movie, it, I thought that was the end of the movie. There's a few moments where it's like, this is oh, the end. This is the end. Yeah. No, this is the end. And, yeah, he has a newspaper clipping showing the kid, like, this secret hero rescues the family. Mm-hmm. And he tells, like, mouths the words, you were right. Yeah, and that was just, me. I did that. And just, you know, holds up his finger like, Shh, don't tell mom. But there's no words. He just says, you uh-huh. were right. Uh-huh. And that's it. And that could have been fake. What do you mean it could be fake? I mean, whether or not, I I know he did, but whether or not he actually was the hero, he could have just pointed at that and said, hey, I did that. I am your hero. Why would he say that if it wasn't true? I don't know, to get the kid off his back. Just because he pointed a gun at him, Trent? Okay, let's talk about (laughs) that scene, Betsy, because that was the one where I said, good God, this came out of fucking nowhere. I mean, we already showed the gun. It is Chekhov's gun. In this case, it is a real gun. The you most have, literal interpretation. You have to use, you have the gun show up later if you show it. That's the fucking rule. But yeah, the kid just shows up and says, I'm going to shoot you to prove that you are a hero. I wish he would have shot him. <laughs> they could have used maybe a little more development up to this point. Yeah. So he was with him, with Elijah, when Elijah proposes this Mm -hmm. theory yeah and david says you know just go away kid stop listening yeah he's crazy we're moving on but that is enough for him to start believing it because he is a kid he's like what 11 12 years old kids are very impressionable They, they can fill in gaps in their mind he's at the age that he would easily buy into this story and then he helps his dad work out And he puts a whole bunch of weight on, Mm -hmm. and instead of removing weight, he adds weight, and he adds weight, and he adds weight, and every single time he's able to do it. And now he's seen his dad do fucking superhuman feats of strength, 
Kind of. Kind of. He's, listen, he's lifting 350 pounds, which is way more than he is, like, probably twice as much as he's ever lifted in his life. I don't know about twice as much, but, I mean, he clearly works out, and, you know, NFL players can go upwards, upwards of, like, four to 500 pounds. The but, biggest of but, the players. But they work out all the time. This guy's a security guard. He has to keep up in shape, but not that much in shape. No, he does enough to stay toned, but not enough to be, like, fucking right. muscle man. Right. Yeah, <laughs> that guy w- would not be able to bench 350 no. pounds. No. No, he wouldn't. But, yeah, that's, like, all you get. And then the kid is at school and he thinks maybe I'm like my dad and he gets into a fight and he gets his ass kicked. Yeah, he's trying to protect a kid and he gets, yeah, beat up. <laughs> but that's it. That is all we get of this kid who idolizes his dad. Now, maybe it's more in the he just thinks his dad is great even before this. Because yeah. when mom and dad are having problems... Mom's sleeping in the room downstairs. Dad's yeah. upstairs. The kid is sleeping in his bed. Kid is always with his dad. And and I thought to myself while he was visiting Elijah the first time, why is the kid there? Why did he bring his kid to this mysterious man who left a card on his, uh, on his, on his vehicle? Why would you bring him with you? Yeah, without a name, without an address. You just put it on the stock, <laughs> the the fancy letterhead of the museum store, whatever this right. place is, right. the gallery. I guess he sends out the cards with every order, I guess, as a thank you. Maybe. It's it's nice. You know, it's like embossed it's and it's got a purple stock. letter. It's, he spent money on this. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so there's just like... Maybe some holes other than the logical, my dad is my hero. Well, my, my, and, my, oh, by the way, he's an actual hero. Yeah, my, my point to that is, well, he took him with because he needs to have this revelation later. He needs to have the other lines later. Wait, you're telling me he was there for plot reasons? Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's uh. a lot of that throughout this movie that's kind of just predictable. In 2023, maybe it wasn't so much in 2000 where we weren't on the internet nitpicking everything and analyzing everything and spoiling everything for everybody else, which is why this movie was able to have any kind of legs at all. Yeah, and I think by now, if you really wanted to go the comic book route, especially after all of our comic book movies that we, that Betsy and I love, I would have rather had a more stylistic, uh, just visual flair about everything. But no, everything is very muted. There's no real color in the movie whatsoever until we get to his, like, flashbacks. Whenever he's going into his his own mind, he can see the lady in red taking the, the jewelry. He can see the guy in the orange jumpsuit uh, going to the house. Oh, yeah, they're all wearing really flashy late 90s, early 2000s colors and yeah, shirts. <laughs> the guy in yellow. Everything is very Neon vibrant. green. Yeah, everything is very vibrant when he goes into those scenes. And I appreciate that because it stands out. Well, the other scene that stands out to me as being you know, the one full of color is when we first go to the gallery, it's very gray and white. The whole thing, all of the art on the walls is in black and white. Yep. And he says something about, oh, there's going to be an exhibition. It opens next week. Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie, it's next week. We're at the opening of the exhibition. And all of a sudden, the walls are painted like different colors. All of the artwork is in color. It's a lot of the actual comic book covers. So it's yep. very different. 
it's a very different feel in this gallery and you think it's so warm and friendly and we're finally happy now and then we get the big reveal that oh villain we have yes. to have a villain yes, he's all fulfilled so he ha- he can see color now <laughs> i guess but yeah you're right otherwise the rest of the movie is very black and white minimal color very i was gray, very i was watching blue, yeah. you know in the sixth sense he does a very specific thing with the color red and I was watching to see if he did that in this one where it's like, oh, is there like some secret code? If you're watching something dramatic happens here and there's something correlating. I didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. I think it was just he spent more time focusing on the wild framing and spinning and upside downness. <laughs> it was all the framing, I think. Yeah, he does. He does a lot more of that stylistically than anything in this movie. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we didn't mention yet, I don't think, is the fact that his wife is Robin Wright Penn. Yeah. And we haven't course, really talked about much of the other actors here. First of all, it's when she was still Robin Wright Penn. Right. Which is a weird thing to see on screen in retrospect now. Well, it was a she, short window of time. She was also not really acting all that much. Not at that time, no. Uh, the son is the little boy from Gladiator, and he was also in Weird, the Al Yankovic story, so this is the third time that kid's been in our podcast. Jeez, okay. What was he in Weird Al? I don't know. I think he's one of his friends. I was looking through the credits, and I was just like, oh, he was in that too. Okay, he's roommates. Okay, okay. Yeah, I think he's one of his roommates. But the casting is good. I think that the people in these roles fit. Like, M. Night Shyamalan wanted Bruce Willis and Sam Jackson, and he got him. Yeah. And you know who approves of that? Tarantino, who loves this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The only other thing that I really wanted to bring up was they have the scene where he produces the gun, where we have to see, oh, it's in his closet. He has a gun. He pulls out a file, and it's all his newspaper clippings for when he was a football star. Mm -hmm. And it's just funny to look at it now because we're not that far removed from this. Like, yeah, 23 years is a while, but... It's not really that long ago, but the fact that anybody would have newspaper clippings now is pretty much gone. People don't do that anymore. So you mean like people saving newspapers from today? People buying newspapers at all. Yeah, yeah. But yes. <laughs> okay. Like, what, what? I don't know anybody that would have this now, yeah. that would be doing this now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what what I mentioned while we were watching it is, hey, remember when they used to print all of the stats, all the sports stats in the newspaper of like the local teams like that does not happen anymore. Like it did when we were kids, which I never looked at them or really thought about it. But I do remember there being just these blocks of yeah. like a Smith and a whole bunch of numbers. <laughs> I mean, you had to put something in the paper. The sports Especially section. Especially the local paper. The sports section was always the biggest section. <laughs> <laughs> That's still true, even with our little newspaper in our little town. Yeah, but the the only other actor that we haven't mentioned yet that was not uh, was not named in the opening credits uh, was Michael Kelly. He was the surgeon at the hospital when he wakes up. The and doctor at the beginning, you yeah. You barely see his face. He's only in profile. But uh, speaking of Robin Wright, uh, those two were very prominent in a little show called House of Cards right. much and later. I would never have known he was in this movie. I yeah. didn't know who he was 20 years ago. He was and still I playing haven't a, watched this in a while. Yeah, he was still playing a whole lot of very small bit characters. He, wasn't, he, he never had any major roles. But 
Michael Kelly is one of these actors that is a fantastic supporting actor. Him and his eyebrows. <laughs> him and his his eyebrows and very receding hairline, even back in 2000. Uh, but no, he he played a great, great role in, I, I always bring this, this show up every time I have an opportunity. He played a serial killer in the show The Shield. And he has like a two or three or four episode arc where... He's just this unassuming guy who is just going about his life and beneath the surface is this fucking psychopath that they finally, finally bust at the end of the season. And it's just the greatest thing. He has probably the best guest appearance in that entire show by anybody. He has a lot of charisma, but he is also really good at playing crazy. Yeah. It's just this- Subdued crazy. Yes, that's the subduedness. It is the, uh, the, the, the muted- emotional emotionless everything he just delivers his lines and there's just nothing behind it except for crazy a great supporting actor who doesn't get enough recognition absolutely he's incredible all right well trent do you have any other thoughts about this one or are you just gonna have to sit and see how you feel about this one in the morning no i mean it, it is what it is i'm i'm not i'm not gonna say it was bad i'm not gonna say it was great i am intrigued I'll say that to, to to continue on with this journey. And I think we probably will. Like, I don't know what kind of like, just like we just did Rocky and like, we're just introducing all these very long series of movies. We won't be in Philadelphia next time, Trent. <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing next week. So we'll see. Uh, but yes, I do want to continue on with the Shyamalan thing whenever that happens to be. Fair enough. And it might be another hundred plus episodes, but we'll get there eventually. (laughs) All right. Well, we would love to hear from you guys about this movie, the other Shyamalan movies. As we said, we've only watched together The Sixth Sense and Unbreakable. I've seen a couple more, but Trent has not seen any of them. So do you think we should continue on this journey? Which or one you, is your favorite? Are you going to warn, warn gonna, us away? Yeah, tell us to stop now. Turn back <laughs> now before it's too late. I know Lady in the Water is coming up eventually. so Oh, we'll get to that. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. And the happening. Oh, oh boy. God. What? <laughs> Betsy, no. What? Ma'am, no. <laughs> uh, but we would love you to send us an email with those thoughts. Neverseenitpod at gmail.com. And you could be like our super fan, Stephanie, who sent us an email. Oh, goodness. Quite a while ago now. During our Oscar series. We haven't had a place for it, so this is the place, because that's what you get today. (laughs) Uh, She sent us an email about one of the Best Picture nominees, Tar. So she says, Tar was interesting. I'm choosing to read it that way. (laughs) That's a word. I agree with Trent in that a lot of the dialogue felt too inside baseball. Mm -hmm. I felt like it took a crazy long time to get to the point and then ends well after the climax. Well, that does kind of sound like this movie. (laughs) Uh Now that I'm reading this email again. However, I was interested and liked the way it was put together for the most part. Lydia is not a good person. She is a hypocrite and a people user. Kate Blanchett is amazing. The way she handles those monologues and then also screams sings while playing the accordion <laughs> aimed at her neighbors. Yeah, best moment in the movie. I watched After Sun, Paul Mescal is nominated for Best Actor, and Willy's Wonderland starring the one and only Nicolas Cage. 
Both are wonderful in their own right and worth a watch. We were talking about uh, Willy's Wonderland the other day, I think. I don't remember the context, but... Or maybe I was talking about that with somebody else. I can't remember. <laughs> somehow that came up in conversation, and yeah. She continues, they are wildly different movies. Willy's Wonderland is a horror comedy and ridiculous. I loved it. <laughs> After Sun is thoughtful and melancholy. I really liked it and thought it was very well done. The two leads were fantastic. Love you guys. Superfan Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, there's a lot of weird movies out there. I don't know that I'd qualify Unbreakable as weird. It's definitely no. different. Yeah, uh, it's, but it's different in his way. Yeah, creative different versus yeah. just, well, this is weird. <laughs> and I kind of prefer just, hey, this is just weird for the sake of being weird. Sometimes those are the best. Sometimes they're the worst. But it's worth it if the filmmaker took a risk. I would say, looking back on our weird movie series, go back and listen to those, uh, I was just thinking about The Lobster the other day. It's just this very high concept movie that just tickled both of us in just the right way. So I want more movies like that. So yes, tell us what weird movies you like. Which M. Night Shyamalan movies you like. We definitely want to hear your thoughts on those. You can send us an email. Once again, that email address, neverseenitpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're on all of those, posting all the time. You can support the show. We like support. Money. Money. You can click the link in the podcast description and help us bring you more Shyamalan. Or not. Or not. Or tell us what you want us to see, because you know what? We're open to suggestions. We're flexible. If you pay us, we'll do what you want. Within reason. Within reason. <laughs> well, well, we'll cover what you want anyway, as long as we haven't seen it yet. True enough. It has to qualify. Uh, but most importantly, we would love if you went to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you're listening to this podcast, and rate us five stars. We would love to find more people to join the party and listen to our nonsense. And we hear that rating us five stars helps us do that. It does. But that is going to be it for this episode of Never Seen It. We are in the middle of our Hackers series. On Sundays. On Sundays. And then we still have some rando movies through the rest of Wednesdays in May. Then who knows? But look forward to all of those and everything else to come. In the meantime, I am Betsy. And I'm Trent. And we will see you next time. Bye.